All right. Welcome to episode one, take three <laughs> of the Mass Monsters podcast. Episode one, talking shop. Let's get after it. Yeah. So with this episode, you know, we ran through a couple trial and errors uh, the first couple weeks. Yeah. Then I then I took a week off, went to Mexico. <laughs> Cancun came. Early. So then now we're here in our new podcast room. Finally, sort of mostly finished now. Yep. And uh, we're kind of going to go off script uh, now that we've had a little bit of practice with the first couple. Just free balling at this point. Yeah. See what we want to talk about. Imperfect action. Imperfect action. Yeah. So I think for me and you right now, I think the last month and a half, we've both seen a lot of like a lot of change, not only in ourselves professionally and personally, but like in our in our roles. Um, upward and kind of like where we see ourselves going in the future so my first question for you is what um what was your what was your first year in the coaching industry like and then follow that up with like how did you change or how have you started to evolve the past two months specifically yeah so the first full year of being the head coach at upward a lot of trial and error a lot, of, a lot of figuring a lot of stuff out, especially mm-hmm. like the systems and processes and just how everything goes. And like my first month there, like you weren't even there on on the staff yet. And you came in. And then that summer was really busy. We kind of blew up. So a lot of it had to do with like just getting the reach out there and letting people know who we are. But I'd say it was just mostly all learning experience. Just definitely being fresh out of college and trying to figure out what my voice was because I was pulling from coaches and what I learned in school. And when I was talking on the floor, like, was I really saying like what I wanted to say? Or was I saying what the book wanted me to say? And like, do I, like, should I get certified in this or that? Or will people listen to me if I'm not certified? And like, clearly they do. Like, they don't, I don't, I haven't had a single person ask me like what I'm certified in. So they just care if you're a good person. But that, it was a lot of trial and error. Like even with the adult program, like it was just getting started right when I started. Mm-hmm. And I became the adult guy for the 6 a.m. So <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't really coming into the role at that. I kind of got thrown into the fire there because I had no real prior experience working with uh, the general population. It was all athletes and kids. And being only 22 at the time, I was much more comfortable talking to a 16-year-old because I felt like I could relate a lot more. But then having to coach someone twice maybe like triple my age during the session like oh, wait, like what do you want to talk about like, yeah small talk is definitely a uh, a learned a learned art that's why i always feel like it's easier to train uh adults in like a group setting rather than a one-on-one yeah because i could kind of bounce around from person to person yeah. and it, it makes it it makes the hour much more engaging for me rather than an athlete i feel like there's so many things that I could nitpick with their technique because they have very more specific goals a lot of times with like, you know, all different types of movements and they could get a lot more complex. So with that, it's, you know, a one-on-one is pretty engaging with an athlete, but having that, that small talk with an adult is definitely an, an acquired, uh, an acquired, <laughs> acquired skill, <laughs> acquired skill. So yeah. I was talking to Greg about when I was like, yeah, dude, yeah. it's like, you know, uh, being like mid thirties to like young thirties, it's like you could at least talk to like people that are younger than you and still like carry a conversation like relatively, you know, 
close to the same kind of skill level, not skill level, but like, you know, we're very similar and yeah, similar interests, similar, similar interests topics, and stuff. You, know, you can talk about football and still being a bro and still having fun like that. But there's also some clients where it's just trying to find that connection anywhere. Like that's what the first, that's why we do the onboarding really mm-hmm. is to try to find something that you can relate to. And I find it really easy when they have no idea what the hell they're doing. Like when they're like just coming in, they've never trained before because you can use that whole hour to teach mm-hmm. and educate. Yeah. And so once you kind of overdo that and like make them as comfortable as possible, it kind of eliminates that like a so, little bit of social anxiety. Like especially starting off, that's what I was like. I was like, Ooh, like I don't know what to say. Like 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 are they gonna like the the workout? Like what is it like? But then after yeah. like just doing more, it's like anything. Like just practice, like reps and reps and actually just being on the floor coaching and getting that experience helps yeah. out the most. Yeah. That's why I always like the onboarding a lot is because it's very, it's very engaging because you're teaching the client how to do everything for like the first time. Yeah. Um, so you have to be, you know, it's exciting for you to kind of be, I look at it as a good opportunity to be like the first per the first person that is getting them into lifting or mm-hmm. fitness and whatnot. Like that's how I felt with, uh, one of my kids who was like 13 last year, like his parents bought him uh, the onboarding package as his Christmas gift. And, um, you know, Anna, my wife was like, you know, this is awesome. Like you get to be this kid's like first, first experience in a weight room. And I was like, yeah, yeah. it's true. And it's a really cool opportunity. Cause like, I remember the people who got me into the weight room first and like my first experience with a personal trainer when I was in high school and stuff like that. So it's cool to kind of be able to be that that role model and that person for that person for somebody else. Yeah, coaches can make or break like your passion and pretty much your personality. Yeah. Like if you're playing baseball as a kid and you love it, and you go to high school and your high school coach was just a jerk and completely ruined your experience, then that love for the game that you had all the way up until you're 14, 15 just disappears. Yeah. And then now you don't want to play anymore. Yeah, it's true. And that's the reason why too a lot of uh a lot of people who their parents are the coaches, it doesn't work out well cuz the the parents don't know how to handle that coach to son dynamic. Yeah. And it it ruins it for a lot of kids. And then also could ruin it for other kids on the team too if there's a lot of favoritism involved and so on and so forth. But Yeah, that daddy son playing shortstop back and forth. <laughs> Bat and clean up. Bat and clean up. Like, dude hasn't hit a home run ever. <laughs> yeah. Pat before. It's so funny. You see that a lot in youth sports, and it kind of butchers all of it, too, for a lot of other kids that just don't have the opportunity. That's why when I coach and have a client, depending on whatever skill level they are, I try to give them the exact same service that I would provide like a 14-year-old versus a 24-year-old. Like, the 14-year-old just started, the 24-year-old's going to play in the XFL, whatever, like I'm still gonna act the same way as like as like my personality. I'm not gonna belittle someone that just has who's just starting out. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta um you gotta alter it based on each person to a certain extent. It's kinda like the like how you go about saying your message, but actually like the thing that you're gonna say should pretty much stay consistent depending like regardless of who it is. Um I think that your message should be constant across across all platforms. You shouldn't like, that's the thing that I think I, I used to kind of 
tiptoe around with adults because I knew that the kids wouldn't second guess me. A lot of times they would just believe me, whatever. But adults sometimes would ask more intricate questions about things. So I would kind of try to give them the answer that they wanted to hear. But I had, I had to stop doing that and not be afraid of the, the difficult conversation. Of like, you know, that female that has been cutting calories for two years and claims that never gained weight and stuff. Well, the hard conversation is, well, you're either not actually in a calorie deficit or you're your body, you're just in a crazy long plateau right now. Yeah. And so, you know, trying a reverse diet or trying tracking your calories is the hard conversation. But then just talent, just kind of being like, oh yeah, like I, he I hear you. Like that stinks. <laughs> just like moving on. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's like, not you have helping a nutrition client, they're like, yeah. like definitely needs to lose weight. And they're like, oh, I just don't eat anything. Oh, that's like not true. Clearly <laughs> not true. Like we're like, yeah. <laughs> So that's where you're like, especially starting off as a coach and even a nutrition coach, you're yeah. starting off and you have a client that's looking you straight in the face and they believe it. Like, I'm not eating. Why am yeah, I yeah. gaining weight? And I go, you're clearly eating. There's some type yeah. of, you're telling yourself some type of lie yeah. and having that conversation, especially starting off is not comfortable. Not, no, it's not. At all. And that's why like too, as of recently, literally as of like last week, I started using the nutrition pages kind of like my own personal diary and just like posting what I'm eating just because, um, I haven't, I've been working on a lot of back end stuff with the nutrition program right now. So social media hasn't been a huge focus, but the big thing I'm working on is gathering social proof of like the success board photos, the before and afters. Other than that, actually making educational content hasn't been a priority of mine. So I'm like, what, what better way to educate than just taking a picture of one of my meals on the day and just posting it and just posting the reason behind it, the behavior that went into it and kind of getting people to think more about like, you know, my thought process and how I eat and stuff. And for example, like Wednesday, I traveled all day and I, you know, I was traveling between being in the car, being in the plane, being in the airport, you know, whatever, 13 hour day of traveling. And I ate like one meal all day and that was it. And I didn't move all day because I was traveling, so I was very, very sedentary. And then by the time dinner came around, and my like when I was like forty-five minutes from home, we got Chick Fil A, and I completely splurged. Yes, and sir. and it's like for me, I, I the reason why I posted that was because of what you said. Like a, a normal adult will always come to me and say, or not always, but oftentimes will come to me and be like, "Yeah, like I don't eat anything all day. Like I don't know why I'm gaining weight, whatever. Like I I eat like a like a pretty big dinner or whatever. And it's like, well, think about human behavior when you're starving yourself all day and then you get the first chance to eat, you're going to overdo it. And so for me, somebody who's used to eating five meals a day of meal prep and stuff, and it's all planned out and it's all protein that's satiating. So I never really get to the point where I'm starving. So every meal that I make is usually a pretty conscious decision of like being aware and being very cognizant of what I'm putting in my body. And then I get to this point where the first time in like what it feels like a year that I've experienced this like starvation and I just had no self-control. And then I ordered the whole menu and dessert. And it's like, I didn't even eat dessert never when skip, I was in never Mexico. Skip yeah. Never skip dessert. But it's just like, yeah, it was, so it was crazy. So that for me, it was a big like empathy moment where I'm like, this is what they're, this is what my clients are talking about. They, they work, they wake up last minute because they're trying to, because they're exhausted, they're trying to get every 
last minute of sleep they can. They rush out the door, don't eat, or they're really full from the night before and they don't have an appetite in the morning. And then they work all day and don't move. And then they get home at night and they whip something together. And by that point they're starving and they overeat. And so like, I had one meal that whole day or two meals that whole day. And you know, I way overdid it on the calories, even mm -hmm. though I only ate twice, you know? Yeah. So that was a big, and so I, I posted that and was like, this is why, this is why people gain weight when they starve themselves all day because they have no self-control. And then they, and then they're not only are their calories probably higher, but their protein is lower than it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's important as a coach to just have that feel like that. just like human feel. I could just know like how everyone else acts. Cause I was saying it to you guys in our uh, meeting last week. It's like, we're not the normal person. Mm -hmm. Like we're very, like all the coaches on staff and even like a good amount of the clients that we have, like we're not the norm like at all. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we're all high performing, high performing individuals that want the best and want to eat the cleanest and train the hardest and everything. But for people just starting off in the journey, like we have to be a little bit more empathetic with mm -hmm. them because absolutely they aren't like that yet. Like that's what our whole job is to yeah. guide them to like a better lifestyle, better habits and then once they start seeing those small wins, it's going to compound over time and they're going to get bought into the process. Like it took Peyton a full year, really it six, eight months yeah. to actually make that full lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't start. He, what was he down? Like 10% body fat, 11% yeah, body fat, 10% body fat since I took his in body. Yeah. Which like, you know, realistically probably was down another like two to 3% since the beginning because the first couple months he didn't do nutrition so yeah. um so yeah like he definitely made a big stride but it was like the first it took him a little while and that's that's where i forgot who was saying it i forgot who was i think sam Selig was saying it <laughs> sam Selig. i think he was saying it. how uh he was like the beginning is the hardest because you're going in you're working out you're leaving but you're not you don't see any of the progress yet oh, yeah, you yeah. don't see so that's what that's what creates the buy-in is when you stick with it long enough and you see the progress and then you know but it's like if you're going to the gym the first month and the first couple of weeks of that you don't really see any definition you don't see any muscle gain you don't see any weight loss that's the hard part but then it's like once you start seeing the progress and getting addicted to the the results and that just compounds over time. Yeah, too many people quit like right when they're about to actually see some type of progress, and yeah. it just it just sucks because you know, like if you just stay with it a little bit longer, then you would have been addicted to the process. Mm -hmm. And everyone is just so fixated on the outcome of just being ripped, the six pack abs, like benching three fifteen and doing all these crazy things. But it takes years to get there, mm -hmm. so you have to fall in love with that process first. And then you stop caring about those numbers. Like I really don't care like what my squat bench deadlift numbers are. I used to. That's all I used to focus on. But now I've enjoyed <coughs> just the training, the like pennies deposited, just putting a little bit in and then compounding mm -hmm. that interest over time. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, it's been four months and like I'm down 5%, like 4% body fat. And yeah. I was like, I wasn't even really focused on that. I just focused on the day to day and that's pretty much what anything that's what fitness that's what business that's what like relationships like i can't really speak too much on relationships i don't really know about that but like <laughs> but what everything is like you can't expect to always be in that honeymoon phase you know like 
when you start off and you're super excited to get started off in the gym, like you invest all this money in, into it and you do it for two weeks and you're like, I'm not seeing the results. Like, obviously, like yeah. you have to, like, as, as soon as that excitement wears off, you're like, do I really want to do this anymore? That's why like you can't go off of just motivation and excitement levels because it's, you're in it for your life. Yeah, like absolutely. The, the life expectancy is like 78, 79, like you're 20, like 58 years to train. And yeah. Like you have a, you have triple your life of what you live. Yeah, that's what I was having a conversation with the, uh, the head coach at Southern yesterday, and I was telling him how I wish when I was in college I looked a little bit more long term because I'm I'm kind of dealing right now with a, somebody that is very, just like focused on trying to be as good as they possibly can by the age of 22, and I'm like, dude, in javelin you could literally throw unattached until you're 40 if you want to. So like wanting to look at it more like long term. And I think I had that same pressure on myself. I knew I was going to be done with college by the time I was 23. And I was like, I need to throw 70 meters by 23. And the way I approached my career, like because of that was different than how I would have approached it if I was just like looking at it as, all right, obviously you want to be as good as you can, as soon as you can. But I think that, I didn't realize, especially going into the career that I'm going into or that I'm in, it was like, I could definitely do this until I'm, you know, 40 if I wanted to. And not and having that more of a long-term approach of being like, you know, you don't just turn into a bot once you get a full-time yeah. job. Yeah. Like, I could still do this, you know? And it took me even a year to figure that out of like, oh, shoot. Like, you know, I took a year off of throwing and I didn't really get that much worse. Like, if I just, you know, kind of focus a little bit more on some of the low hanging fruits. Like I could probably do this for a long term, long time and actually get better being, you know, 24, 25, 26. And, you know, not having that pressure of being at my peak by, by 22, you know, especially when you're dealing with like injuries and hiccups and stuff. It's like, you know, you, you got like six months from now until this track season starts. Like you don't have to have it all figured out in six months. Like you have, time you know i think that a lot of a lot of uh track athletes in general should keep training after college and just kind of being an athlete as long as they can because too many people get so caught up in like trying to go be an adult and go work a job and go join a beer league softball <laughs> team or something you know the death to, death by nine nine to five and you just become yeah. sedentary and you just lose it but yeah like age is just there's plenty of forty year olds that are really in really good shape. Absolutely. Like LeBron like look LeBron LeBron, he's a freak. He's been in the league for twenty three years. Like yeah. Father Time ne- never really caught up to him. Like he's still averaging twenty seven points a game. Yeah. It's just because like the people that say that oh, oh once you're thirty you feel like washed up and stuff, it's because you haven't moved since you were twenty three. So yeah, you're seven you have seven years of rust. You know, but it's <laughs> yeah. like if you if you just stay with it after college, like you're going to get better, especially as a male. Like, you're 22 when you graduate college. You're not hitting your peak at 22. If you keep training, like, you're going to get better by the time you're 26, 27 if you stay healthy. And the thing is, too, is, like, for me to get to the point where I went from 23% body fat, running a 5, 240, squatting 315, you know, at 19, it took me, like, training three hours a day of mobility, lifting, sprinting, jumping, throwing, like all that type of stuff, Tommy John surgery, diets, tracking calories, all that. 
but it's like now to maintain that level of fitness that I got is not nearly as hard. You know, I can yeah. do half of what I did to get to this point and still be better than I was when I was 20. Yeah. You know, Gary V always talks about it. And just from a business, like entrepreneurial sense that he always tells like his 20 and 30 year old followers, like you have plenty of time. Like yeah. You gotta just keep grinding pretty much and just keep at it because you have so much life to live. You're not even halfway there at 30. If you live to 75, like that's not halfway yet. Yeah. You have so much life to live. And Mike Boyle even said in his book, he didn't have his first actual coaching job until he was 30. Yeah. So that's something that I try to remind myself with is like, if I ever feel like I'm like over my head or I don't know as much as I should, or I'm not where I want to be. Like I'm only 23. Yeah. I I have, there's so much time to to keep chipping away at it and just compounding knowledge and experience and learn, like just learning as much as I can. Who knows where my whole role is completely different from when I'm 22. It's like just, yeah. Which I want to get into more for sure. But I was going to say, too, like, when you look at it from the standpoint of, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, like, us being driven individuals, like, I always feel like, for me, like, I always feel like I'm behind. Always. You know? Never. Like, I, I, I always, always feel, feel like, like I'm behind. Like, like you said, like, you're 23, I'm 24, like, you're, you know, head coach at Upward, I'm head nutrition coach, and, like, we've been <clears throat> running those programs now for over a year, but I always feel like... <clears throat> what could I be doing differently? Like, where could I put more time in to maximize my return on investment and get a better, give a better product, like serve more clients, all that type of stuff. Like help more people get, get a bigger reach on social media. Like I'm, I always think everyone else is like better than me. Like, you know, it's, I'm always trying to chase the next person. Yeah. You know, that's what I don't think. That's what I think people don't understand about just our personalities and like I've talked to a couple other coaches Evie's one of them she shouted me out on hers I'll shout you out here but uh, I won't call you soft though but um like we're such high she's so much faster than me (laughs) but we're such like high performers and we're just driven by wanting to get better yeah that I really don't think like burnout like everyone talks about burnout like I don't think it really applies to us because I like yeah if I feel tired one day like it doesn't matter. Like I'm still going to do what I have to do like to where I want to get to. Yeah. Like I've like, we've put in like 60 hour a week sessions, like sessions, like actual coaching on the floor. Like I've done that, did that for months. Like you've, yeah. you've done long days too, starting at five, ending at nine. Yeah. And, like doing nutrition too and remote or whatever, like coaching at Southern coach at Southern. Like we, we work very hard and that's just how we're wired. Yeah. Like, I never am going to feel like, I, I hate not working. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It's like, yeah. like I want to always continue to progress in some way, push the needle forward. <laughs> no, it's but true though. It's, it's true though. And that's where too, um, as of recently, I've been trying to wake up earlier when, and for me, I kind of got, cause we work split shift and we have that time off in the middle of the day to like mm-hmm. kind of do whatever we want, whether it's content or workout or, you know, making eBooks or social media, whatever. Um, I found myself like wanting to use that time in the middle of the day for that, like that focused work. And I just like, wasn't putting in the best effort because I was already tired from training in the morning and then working a couple hours. And then I would get home and just like want to take a nap or something. And then I was just like, whatever, like I got to start just waking up earlier and doing it. And so like with me waking up at four the other day, by the time me and Jordan worked out the other day, it was like, 
11. So I was already like seven hours into my day, had like one meal and a coffee in me. And that was it. And I took <laughs> so like, like, man, this workout is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally did like, I did, it was funny because Nevin, Nevin was there too, actually. And um, I did like, 275 for eight sets of five and then yeah, and then, and then i started i started going over and just doing chest and Evan's like yo where aren't you supposed to do legs today i'm like shut up mind your own business <laughs> it's, it's full body now <laughs> yeah um but yeah uh for me like from the training side like i was just saying we can get into like the new role that i have at upward but trying to get acclimated with that like i had to sacrifice something for these past two days just to yeah. gather my bearings and figure like this stuff out like, i didn't train the past two days and i felt soft i'm not gonna lie but yeah. i worked out today it felt fine but like obviously when we're getting those super busy seasons or you just have a lot of stuff to get done like i'm not competing for anything like if i work out four times a week like that's pretty good like i don't yeah like if it's slower i, I used to work out six times a week and get in that routine but like something's got to give at one point and so you just try to have the find that balance of your training and then the work yeah. you got to get done. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at, but more of like with the athletic stuff, like I feel like I'll always get a, like a, I'll always get, yeah, at least four to five days, mostly five days a week I lift. And then for me, it's those double sessions where I'll sprint and jump, do mobility, throw. That's where I, if I'm feeling kind of like exhausted or strapped for time, I cut that stuff out first which I mean, whatever depends on depends on the time of year or whatever. You know, if I guess if I'm gonna compete next year in, in a in a full season, then I'll probably flip flop that and spend my time elsewhere. But right now it's September and we're six months out. So right now it's like if I'm if I'm cutting something out, it's the athletic stuff. Mm -hmm. But I do a lot of the athletic stuff anyway, especially when I'm doing like demonstrations and whatnot, like. You add it up over the course of the week. I I do a lot of demonstrations of plyos and jumping and you know bounds and stuff. It keeps me athletic enough. Yeah, keep you doing something. Yeah, keep keep that fast twitch. Exactly. I always love when I'm like sitting over at the desk doing nutrition work, and then you got to call me out onto the floor to do a dem demo for you because your hips bothering you. Oh my god, I've never done that. <laughs> I've never, I suck it up. My Dan, hip does, Dan, come over here. My hip does hurt though. Like as much as I was, like as much as the, like, everyone makes fun of me and I'm getting called soft, like I can't even do a split squat without pain. Like yeah. it's, I was, I posted on my story on Monday doing body weight, like Bulgarian split squats, like sets of eight and where I couldn't walk after like my hip was like, I don't know. What I did, I don't know if I, I probably like strained my hip flexor or something. So I just have to take, that's where it kind of worked out where like I'm trying to learn all this other stuff, like the business side of upward that like, all right, I can't really sprint. I can't really jump. So my leg days are probably going to be like 45 minutes max. And yeah. like chat, like if I split up chest and back and do some bodybuilding style stuff, like I don't need to warm up for that. Like I'll just yeah. do the machine do like two or three warm-up sets and get into my working set. I don't need to spend time throwing med balls or like doing any of the athletic stuff. So my workouts take 45 minutes, something like up to 60. Like I'm not in the gym for that long. So it just clears out more of my day where before like my leg days or my like the racehorse upper body days, like I was pushing close to like an hour and a half, two hours. Like yeah. I don't have time for that no more. Like I got to get in and then get right back out, shower, eat, and then go back to work and watch more videos and study and 
learn like all over again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I go through like phases and stuff where like right now I think both of us are in a very big transition phase with uh, what we're trying to do professionally. So naturally we're going to scale it back on the on the working out and stuff. But I think that's a good testament that shows like even when we are busy and whatnot, we still prioritize it and get it done. Yeah. And I always kind of thought that like, oh, if you're working at a gym, like there's no excuse to not work out and stuff. But it's like at the end of the day, this is our job. And like yeah. there are days where you don't want to do it you know yeah. even if it even if we were literally there all day yeah i've yeah there's definitely some times where like, i don't want to work out at all right now yeah. but you just take your pre-workout and get your ass to the gym anyways it it's true that's what i think is helpful about working out in a setting like upward or on a team at southern is like you know you have that appointment you got to show up that your appointment like you're paying for it. It's there. You got a coach that's going to be calling you up, making sure you're there. Same thing at Southern. Like if one of my athletes doesn't show up to practice, obviously I'm going to be like, where are you? Like mm -hmm. get here right now. And we don't have that, you know, because we hold each ourselves accountable. So that's where the discipline comes in. That's like, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're going to the, going to a commercial gym and whatnot, it's like you, even when times get busy, you still got to prioritize it as best as you can. Um, and get at least the the bare minimum in. Yeah, 